0: Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for that time of worship, and we're grateful uh, that you give us many gifts. Thank you for the gift of your Son. Lord, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gift of your Word, and thank you for the gift of prayer as we focus on that today. Lord, we thank you, and Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and make us, each of us individuals and corporately, as a house of prayer. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Amen. So how many of you enjoy music? Anybody? Okay, a few hands, a couple double hands, all right. Uh, When I first heard uh, Pastor Russ say that we're doing a series called Living on a Prayer... I was like, oh, I didn't know Pastor Russ was a Bon Jovi fan, right? He's a he's a big jump, Bon Jovi. You can you know that song, whoa, we're halfway there, whoa. You know, it's kind of that anthem that everybody loves to sing. And it comes on uh, wherever you are. Everybody starts to hum along and tune along. And I could just see Pastor Russ as a huge fan, gripping the mic and singing loudly, the fan blowing in his soft, uh, you know, voice is blowing away, <laughs> that sort of thing. And living on a prayer, that song has kind of become like a rock and roll standard, right? You, Everybody kind of knows this song. A rock musician would definitely know uh, that song and they would be able to jump in and play it, right? A, a musician who knows rock and roll, who knows that song. Musicians tend to have, we, we have these standards that we learn, right? you know what I mean when I say the word standard in terms of Music a standard is a song or a tune that a musician should know how to perform. It's a it's standard across the board. This is what rock and roll musicians should know. Songs like "Living on a Prayer" or "Don't Stop Believin'." Everybody knows these songs, especially musician. Uh, Johnny, be good. Or um, what else do I have? "Hotel California," "Sweet Child of Mine," AC's DC's "Back in Black." bat da na na. Dana, you know, we all know these uh, types of songs and musicians for sure a rock and roll your musician would be able to get up and say I can jump in with you if you need it or you know, we're playing a gig somebody has a, uh, a Request and they say can you play x y and z and they say yeah, we got it We know you know, and they'll just call it out call out the key count it in and everybody's it's like magic you know, everybody just starts uh, playing and a standard isn't just a song that you know and perform It's a song that will actually help the musician learn and master a specific genre of music. It's not just songs that everybody knows. It's actually helpful to understand that genre, to helpful to understand rock and roll, and ultimately helpful to understand the art of music. Uh, For instance, the song Living on a Prayer, which our series is named after, it has an epic key change about three quarters of the way through uh, in that music. And that key change, if you study the music and as a musician, you will understand how to use such a key change and how to move up a minor third for those music nerds in the room, how to move up and how to change keys and how to make that um, work. And there are standards in other genres, too. Jazz standards, a lot of jazz musicians, these are the the best of the best, the the guys who can improv and accompany others. Fly Me to the Moon would be a a wonderful uh, jazz standard. Autumn Leaves, So What by Miles Davis, and so many titles by Coltrane. And all these unique jazz pieces that will really help you understand. When you look at the music, it really helps you understand jazz, and understand melody, and understand how chord progressions come together. And, you know, worship musicians have these types of songs, too. We have standards that we should learn, at least, and that we should know. Songs that every worship musician should know and is, is expected to play if we happen to do that on the fly. They're expected to play it, know how to play it in every key, no matter what key we're in, in multiple styles. Sometimes we'll swing it. Sometimes we'll do it slow, like a ballad. Sometimes it's like reggae or it's um, a little gospely, and it feels different. Songs that you can play without any warning, on the fly. Amazing Grace would be a uh, worship standard. How Great is Our God, right? Above All would be a worship standard. It Is Well, some of these hymns are worship standards. Here I Am to Worship, right? Agnes Day, holy, holy are you, Lord. You know, we know these songs, and and once we start getting into that move, musicians will just fall, and they'll just know. Standards are these pieces of music that a musician always just has in his pocket. He's always just ready to pull out. and He can perform whenever it's required of them. You know, Christian believers also need to have standards like this. They need to have standards like this, things that they have ready at all times. Things that have ready at all times whenever it's required, whenever you need to pull them out. Things on hand, things that are ready in your pocket, that whenever Christ asks for it, whenever the church requires it. Whenever the world even calls upon them, that a Christian is ready to give these things. For an instance, a Christian standard, if you will, would be this, always willing to pray. That is something that a Christian should always have in their pocket, always willing to pray, or always willing and ready to share what God has done for you. A Christian should always be ready to share who God is and what God has done, your testimony, and maybe having a few of those choice scriptures and uh, verses memorized to quote, to let somebody know the gospel, the Lord is my shepherd, for God so loved. Some of these are, are standard things that we should always have in our pocket to know, and some of the scriptures that are close to your heart. And tonight, I want to suggest a Christian standard that we should know as a church. we should know as a church, a standard that will help you learn to master your Christian walk, okay? And that standard is praying for your pastors. Praying for your pastors. That is a Christian standard that all of us should know, should have ready in our pocket at any time that we can pray for our pastors. Now, I want to... uh, assure you that nobody asked me to speak on this topic, all right? Pastor Russ didn't ask me, you know, I need more attention. Can you ask people to pray for me more or something like that? Pastor James didn't call me and say he needs more attention or he needs more eyes on him. And in fact, if he was sitting here, he might be a little uncomfortable with the attention being on the pastors. And um, the staff and elders, nobody said, you know, Pastor Russ's jokes are way too corny. We need to pray for him. We need to ask God to help him come up with some new material or something like that. Nobody asked me uh, uh, that the pastors need prayer. This topic was really impressed upon me as, as, as I was watching our church, watching what we're going through, and waiting on the Lord. And I want to remind you today of something that we all need reminding. Pastors are a gift from God. Pastors are a gift from God. And Ephesians 4 beautifully outlines that pastors are really a divine gift from God. They are. And when you have a pastor who is not just a pastor, but a faithful and reliable pastor, that's like a double gift, a double gift from God. And I'm grateful for the faithful and reliable pastors and shepherds that we have in Pastor James and in Pastor Russ. I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful that we as a church have them. You know, there are a lot of churches that are looking for pastors, that are looking for people. And I'm grateful that we don't even have to look. They're here. They're part of us. And there are some churches who may have a person that they call a pastor, but they're not much of a shepherd. Those pastors aren't much of, shepherd, of a shepherd to them. And I'm grateful as a member of this church that we have a faithful under shepherd who intimately cares about the needs of each and individual sheep and as a group as a whole, and those that God has entrusted to them. I want to say tonight that I love my pastor. I do. I truly love him. My wife and I both do. I'm grateful God has put him in my life, put Pastor Russ in my life as well, and for all the ways the Spirit has used him to minister to us. I really am. I've actually known Pastor James for about half my life now. Um, believe it or not, when we first met. I've known him from that time. And I've gotten to work closely uh, with him uh, for a few years now, maybe um, three or four uh, years that I've been able to work closely with him and, and really get to know him. Now, Pastor James is the leader of the body, but he's not the king, right? He is a man of authority and a man who comes under authority. He is the under-shepherd surrendered to the good shepherd, right? And as we read from prophet Micah, who we just read from, it says, Arise, stand, shepherd his flock by the strength of who? The Lord. The strength of the Lord. You know, sheep need a shepherd. Sheep do need a shepherd, they need a shepherd. I remember a story of a group of shepherds who were watching um, over their sheep as shepherds do. They watch over the sheep. And for some reason, one of these sheep got distracted or got possessed, something you know, grabbed their attention and it walked over the edge of a cliff and just fell off, all right? And when it did, when one of, when one of these sheep, something grabbed its attention, walked over the cliff and fell off, hundreds of other sheep followed him and followed him off of that cliff. And hundreds of sheep died and many of the others were injured if they, if they weren't killed. And the shepherds observed this, looking at what happened. Just because one sheep went astray, it led hundreds of others astray into their death. See, look, sheep need a shepherd. Even Pastor James recognizes that in many ways, he too is like a sheep. And he has he has his own shepherds who guide him. He often mentions Pastor Dave Collins, Pastor Dan Carroll, and others. He knows that even he, as a shepherd, needs shepherds as well. Now, maybe you're in the room, and I think uh, most of us in here are in the room, and they would you would consider Pastor James or Pastor Russ as your pastor. They would be your pastor. Or maybe you're visiting or maybe you're online and you would call somebody else as your pastor. Okay, fine. Maybe you're uh, here online and maybe you think, I don't really belong to another church and I can't really call someone else. I don't really have someone I can call as my pastor. And I'd, I'd encourage you to find a church that you can belong to and find somebody who can pastor you. I would strongly encourage that. If it's here, great. If it's not here, I know all of us are willing to help you find a place and find a pastor who can shepherd you, who can help you. And I know for a fact that our pastors agree with that. I've heard Pastor James say that. If this is not your home, we will help you find a place where you can get the pastoring that you need. Because sheep, all of us, need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. And the more you realize that, the more grateful we become toward the shepherds God has put in our lives. And you know, that that gratitude, that gratefulness, it doesn't just sit there. Okay, I'm grateful. Nice. That's nice. Look, I have some gratitude. You know, it doesn't just sit there. It should manifest into something. And it should definitely manifest in how we pray. It should manifest in how we pray. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, in this passage in Thessalonians, this short verse, Apostle Paul wrote in, to the Thessalonians, he wrote in almost every epistle, pray for him and pray for his comrades. Pray for those who are ministering alongside. Sometimes we think that these sections in scripture, okay, this little part is just Paul's words. It's just his humanness. It's not the spirit speaking through him. Not every word is inspired and breathed by God. And sometimes we treat the word like that. The Thessalonian church was young. It was a new church. It was like that different genre of music, right? The young, hip, new church. The Holy Spirit didn't say, didn't consider, well, you know, let them grow a little deeper, let them get a little more mature, and then we'll ask them to pray for Paul and pray for their pastor. No, it didn't, it didn't categorize them to that. Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church. Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He said, I urge you in Romans 15. I urge you to other churches. He says in the King James, I beseech you, meaning I'm begging you to pray for us. I'm begging you to pray for us. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the apostles knew, Apostle Paul knew, John knew, Peter knew that ultimately they needed God to cover them. They need the prayers of God's people to cover them, to go with them, to intervene for them. There are a lot of things that pastors do. There are a lot of hats that pastors wear. And there are a variety of gifts that pastors exercise. There are heaps of joys that they uh, uh, carry and burdens that they carry. And there are tremendous sacrifices that pastors make. And there are pages and pages of examples of things I could tell you about what a pastor does, what his family may go through. But ultimately, pastors know, pastors know, ministers know that it is only really by the sheer grace of God and by the prayers of believers that they do what they can do. That's ultimately the reason why they do what they can do. Yes, of course, a pastor would have the natural abilities to help Uh, that would help him in ministry. But natural abilities aren't enough to do supernatural work. They're not enough to do supernatural work. Natural talents are going to come up short at some point. You need spiritual gifts to do spiritual work. You need spiritual gifts to do spiritual work. And many pastors possess many spiritual gifts, not just one. Now, I grew up in a pastor's home, and I love pastors, okay? I'm not a pastor, but I get to work very closely with pastors, and especially Pastor James. And I enjoy that. I really do. And often in churches, we will teach and we will tell our congregations and we will tell people, pray for your pastor. Pray for our pastors. But I think sometimes we take that for granted. We take it for granted. And we simply might pray at home, oh, Lord, bless pastor. Bless their family. Help them with whatever they're going through. That sort of rhythm sometimes. But tonight, I want to suggest 12 specific ways that you can pray for your pastor, 12 specific ways that you can pray for pastor, things that you can pray for your pastors in and out of season, in and out of season, in every circumstance. Now, there will be times where we have very specific prayer requests, and Pastor James will say, I need prayer for this. But these are 12 things that you can pray for pastors, for any pastor, for your pastor, for our pastor's. In and out of season, things that you can keep in your back pocket and you can pray at any given time. And I would encourage you to make this a part of your prayer standards, the standard things that you pray that you pull out of your pocket and maybe before a meal, maybe before a family prayer, maybe before you start your day. Make these things a standard. Make these things a standard that you pray. Pray for your pastors. Number one, and if you have a handout, you have some blanks there. Number one, and maybe put this uh, prompt right before all 12 of those blanks. Pray that your pastor will, pray that your pastor will love passionately is number one. We're going to fill in these blanks. Pray, Pray that your pastor will, colon, number one, love passionately. Love passionately. Deuteronomy says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, you know, there's different levels of love, right? There's different levels of love. I, when, I, when it says love the Lord your God, you know, I'm not going to use that same passion when I say I, which I do. I love French fries. I really do, right? But it's, it's not the same as loving uh, a friend, loving a family member, loving a spouse, or loving a, a pastor, loving God. It's not the same. But we tend to use the same words. It's not, there's, there's a certain passion. When I, if I was up here preaching for uh, 40 minutes about French fries, you would say, he really does love French fries. But it's, it's something that is passionate with a burden, with joy, that you talk about somebody that you love with everything, all your heart, all your strength, all your soul. You know, sometimes I get into this rhythm of ministry, and I, I really have to check myself. I have to evaluate myself because sometimes I get into this rhythm where I really love doing ministry because I'm good at it, because that's what the gifts God has given to me, to do ministry. But I have to check myself. Do I love doing ministry because I'm good at it, or do I love God? and therefore i do ministry do i love god and therefore i it's easy to slip into these routines these habits where yeah i love to see so and so wait or do i love god first and that's why i love this you know because i'm good at it because it makes me feel good or because i love god pray that your pastor would love passionately love god first passionately also add that they would love their spouse passionately Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Love your wives as Christ loves this church. I would encourage you to pray for your pastor's respective marriage, for their marriage. You know, it takes a very special person to be married to a pastor. It takes a very special person, and it takes a very special pastor to maintain his marriage the way it is supposed to be maintained. When a pastor is, is demonstrating to everyone a deep love and a deep care for everyone all the time, 24-7, things like that has the potential to strain a marriage. It does. When you have to care for others at all time, sometimes it strains your marriage. Pray that your pastor would love their spouse passionately, that they would love God passionately and their spouse passionately. Pray that your pastor would love Others passionately. The two greatest commandments: love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, as yourself. Pray that your pastor will love passionately. Okay, number two. Pray that your pastor will live purely. Live purely. First Timothy five twenty two uh, says, "Keep yourself pure. Keep yourself pure." Paul urged himself to keep himself pure. Paul urged Timothy to keep himself pure, to keep himself free of all sin, free of lust, free of greed, free of partiality, free of corruption when you're in leadership and you have power. Keep your motives, keep your mind free of sin. Why? Because purity is of utmost importance to God. It's of utmost importance to God, being free of all sin. That's why God sent his son, so that we would be free, so that we would be made spotless, pure, pure of all sin. How do you do that? How do you keep your mind free of all sin, and keep yourself free from sin? By occupying your mind, by keeping your eyes focused on the source and goal, author and perfecter. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Make him your one true motive, the reason why you do everything. First John 3, 3 says, And everyone who has this hope in him, in Christ, purifies himself just as he is pure, just as Christ is pure. You know, sadly, we all can name names of ministers and pastors who have failed, who have fallen. There's too much temptation. There's too much opportunity to entertain that temptation. Even if you don't fall, there's opportunity to entertain that temptation instead of embracing Christ. We all can think of somebody. Would you pray that your pastor would live purely? Live purely. Number three, that they would see clearly. See clearly. How many of you wear glasses in the room or contacts some kind of eye correction. Yeah, probably most of you, a majority of us in the room. I'm fortunate enough to have to have never worn uh, glasses other than you know sunglasses or something like that. I'm the only one in my family, in fact. And when I was younger, I had um, what the what the doctor told me was better than perfect vision. And one eye I had 2015, and the other eye I had 2010 uh, of vision. And now that I'm older and I spend most of my workday in front of a screen, I find myself straining sometimes more, especially when it comes to street signs when you're driving and street signs at a distance. It's sometimes I'll miss a turn. I'll misread north versus south or the west versus east. Which, way, which freeway am I supposed to get on? I'll get on the wrong ramp. And I'll miss a turn. I'll take a wrong direction and be just because I misread something. Now, I may be driving, you know, me and Natasha, two, two people max, but pastors are like bus drivers. They have more than two people uh, that they take with them. They are driving a community of people. And I'm really grateful for the vision and direction, direction that our pastors uh, have taken us and that they do have. And you should pray that your pastor would see clearly, that your pastor would see clearly. Proverbs 29, 18 said, Without a vision the people perish. Without a vision, the people perish. We were watching a movie, actually, uh, on Thanksgiving Day about uh, Bishop Carlton Pearson. um, That's on Netflix. It's, It's a drama on his life, who was a dynamic man of God. But his vision for God, his understanding of the gospel, and the vision for his church became very blurry. His vision became very unclear and became skewed and distorted just because it's his vision. Ephesians says, May God give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, revelation, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, not darkened, but enlightened. We must pray in dark and uncertain times that our pastor's eyes would be filled with light filled with light, even when things are unclear, even when things are dark, that God would give clear vision, clear vision to our pastors, that they would see clearly. Number four, that they would walk humbly. The pastors would walk humbly. Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with your God. Now, humility is one of those things that is easily misunderstood. Some people think that it means you need to be modest, and you need to be quiet when others are talking, and you need to be... That's one perception of humility. Or the world may think humility is like a weakness that shows you're weak, or you're low on self-esteem, or you're down on yourself because you keep putting your... Putting yourself down. That's what some people might think humility is. I, w- I would define humility as this. Humility is knowing who's in charge. Humility is knowing who's in charge. In other words, humility is knowing that ultimately, you're not in charge. Ultimately, God is in charge, that you come under his authority. Yes, of course. As a pastor, as church members, as leaders, as people who lead ministries and do ministries, we have responsibilities. We have things that we oversee and that people look to us for. But humility is never overstepping that jurisdiction. If I all of a sudden was leading worship and I said, um, you know, pastor shouldn't preach anymore and he's not, you know, that sort of thing. All of a sudden I forgot who's in, I forgot who's in charge here. (laughs) And if pastor starts saying things that are contrary to the word of God, he's forgotten who's in charge. Humility is never overstepping uh, your jurisdiction. And a person who positions themselves in God's hands, who, who understands that I belong in God's hand, not outside of his hand, not outside of his will, but I belong in God's hand, and he carries me, he controls me, he knows the ways I should go, that's a person who can be used as a weapon of war. Now, sometimes when we think of a weapon of war, we think, yeah, that's what I want. You know, I want to be like a tank. I want to be like an F-22, you know, unstoppable. And sometimes it means that. And other times it means you'll be like a peace treaty. You'll be like an ambassador who's ready to come and bring peace. And it's when you know, when you know your position in Christ, when you are humble before God, when you know your relationship to Christ, that he can do anything through you when you take the right posture, when you take the right position. Pray that your pastor will walk humbly. Number five, pray that your pastor will speak boldly. Speak boldly. Ephesians 6.20 says, pray, and it goes on to say, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. That I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Pray that your pastor would speak the word of God with boldness, with boldness. You know, sometimes it is hard, and maybe you've experienced this, it's hard to speak the truth to people who are opposed to truth, who may not want to hear that. And it's hard for, it may be difficult at times for a pastor to speak the truth in front of a variety of people, a huge audience, where everyone has an opinion of what you're going to say Everyone has an opinion on what this passage means, right? So, And some people don't just have one opinion. They have many opinions, and they want to share those with you. Others will write you an email, and they'll share those things with you. Well, you said this and this and that, and you know, on and on. And they'll share those things with you on a regular basis. The things that ought to be spoken. Now, this doesn't mean that everything pastor said should be spoken with boldness. He sh- Hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? You know, it's not that type of boldness. It's the things that should be spoken with boldness, ought to be spoken with boldness, like the word of God, like prophetic words. The things that ought to be spoken boldly would be spoken boldly. You know, the Bible says of Samuel that not a word of Samuel's fell to the ground. Not one word of Samuel's fell to the ground. That means that everything that Samuel prophesied came to pass it had longevity. It nothing stopped it and it fell. It never went it had an eternal purpose. It was from the Lord. Nothing could stand in its way. Nothing could bring it down. It had longevity. It had power. Pray that your pastor would speak boldly. Which also means by the way that we have to be able to receive those bold truths and those bold words too. Number 6. Pray that your pastor would lead courageously. Lead courageously. You remember when Joshua was commissioned as Moses' successor, the Lord spoke to him. It wasn't Moses telling him. It wasn't Aaron telling him or Miriam telling him. The Lord told him, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Now, our pastor often preaches and teaches about obedience, about surrender, but you know, in the world we live in, even in the church culture that we live in, in the churches that we see around us, it takes courage even to obey. It takes a lot of courage to muster that and do the right thing sometimes. How much more courage does it take to lead people to do the right thing? It takes courage to really blaze a new trail that your church may have never endeavored. They've never gone there. To take possession of the land that God has promised, just like Joshua was going. It takes courage to take possession. That's our land. Because you can plan and you can get good counsel and you can talk to many around you, but there will still be some giants that you may never anticipate. There may still be some waters that need parting, and that takes courage. There may still be storms that you have to go into and you have to weather. There may still be fires that you have to withstand. On that pathway, there are still some pathways that take a supernatural courage. And leading a congregation is one of those. It's one of those things that takes courage. Pray that pastors would lead courageously, courageously. Now we're halfway there. And I should mention that I do see every one of these characteristics in our pastor. Okay, this isn't my 12 things our pastor lacks list. Okay, this, please don't misunderstand me. I see this and every one of these in Pastor James and Pastor Russ, respectively. And again, these are standard things that we as a body need to be praying to support, to, that we need to be submitting to God in prayer regularly without missing a beat, knowing exactly when something comes up, Lord, we pray that pastor would lead this thing courageously. Lord, we pray that he would love those people passionately, even though they're hard to love right now. And without missing, a be recognizing the need and knowing I know how to pray for pastor in this moment. I know what, he, what uh, he needs. These are standards that we automatically perform, that we practice. Our pastors care so deeply about us, and this is how we care for them, okay? Number seven, pray that our pastors will run patiently. Run patiently. Romans 12.1 says, Let us run with patience the race set before us. Let us run with patience the race set before us. When I was in high school, I ran cross country. And cross country is not the 50 yard. It's not the 100. It's not even four, four times around the track. It's not even eight times 800. This is a three-mile race, Okay. You have to learn to pace yourself. You have to learn to be patient, even from the start. Even before you start, you have to learn. You have to train your body. Some of you may have run marathons or half marathons. You need to be patient with yourself. That's a long run. If I thought three miles was long, a half marathon and a full marathon, 26 or more miles is a long way. And the interesting thing about Christian life is that it's not a race against other people. Christian life isn't comparing yourself to others. You know, Christian life, a pastor's race, isn't to look at big church pastor over there and pastors X and Y down the street. Though some, some pastors, they do tr- uh, treat it that way. They treat it like it's a competition against other pastors. You know, one of my, pers- this is something personal for me, one of my personal pet peeves are when pastors ask each other, or a pastor would ask somebody, how many people do you have in your congregation? That's one of my pet fees, as as if that number is the determining factor of the success of a pastor, right? Why not ask, how is God moving in your church, right? How are people being transformed? How are you seeing the Spirit move in your church, you know? We are not here to compare pastor to pastor and churches uh, against churches. God has given every pastor a unique track to run, a unique race that is set before them. And they are called to run at God's pace, not at somebody else's pace, run with God, run with the spirit alongside of you. At God's rhythm that he sets, just like musicians, just like rock and roll, at the musician who's counting it in, which is God, God's drum beat. Run with the people that God has given to you. You run way ahead of your congregation, nobody's gonna be able to follow you. You run way behind your congregation, everybody's gonna wonder, why, where is pastor? But you. You, are set, you set the pace that God has given you. run with your congregation. And it'll definitely take some cha- training. Don't go too slow. Don't run ahead. <laughs> uh, don't go, and don't run behind. But definitely go where God needs you. Go at his pace. Pray that your pastor would run patiently. Patiently. Number eight, that they would watch Watch diligently. Watch diligently. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch your life and doctrine closely. The The NASB says this, Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation, both for yourself and for those who hear you. Okay, so pastors' lives are very interesting. They're on display. They live in a glass house. Everyone is watching them, right? Everybody, doesn't matter who you're, if you're a Christian or if you're non-Christian. You know, non-Christians watch pastors too. They watch people in ministry too. It actually, it's more, it's not just a glass house. It's like a magnifying glass house where everything is blown up and people watch every, they see every little thing that you do. And they notice those things. And sometimes that's good if you're perfect, (laughs) if if you imitate Christ in everything that you do. But make a mistake and the world will know about it. The world will know about it. Or at least people in your world will know about it. Interestingly enough, this passage uh, in uh, Timothy, it doesn't say, church members, watch your pastors. And we should. I'm, not, I'm all for accountability. I'm all for good reputation, of course. But that's not what it says. It says this. It's an encouragement for pastors to watch themselves and to make sure their teaching and that their life match, that they match, to persevere in it. What does that mean? It means even if the people you teach aren't listening, even if the people you teach don't care to listen, Paul is telling Timothy, even if you teach and you have no success with other people, even if the people you teach, even if they live in wickedness, even if they live in sin, and even if it seems somehow that they're prospering, that they have success in their areas, you watch yourself. You watch yourself. Live out what you teach. Don't worry about what other people are following. Live out the word. Be diligent in your integrity. Keep your integrity. Watch yourself. Be diligent in your integrity. Pray that pastors would watch. And when they notice other things that they will look at themselves, watch diligently. We have many pastors who are starting to look like the world and their church is looking more like the world and looking like the success of businesses and things like that. Pray that our pastor would watch diligently. And I believe he does. Number nine, pray that your pastor would respond wisely. Respond wisely. Psalm 101 uh, verse 2 says, I like this translation from the KJV, which Henry loves. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Um, You know, several weeks ago, when we were um, sitting in the Living Waters class, and several questions came up. Some of you may have been there. Um, it was uh, maybe a couple months ago now that we had that class. Uh, several questions came up. It was good questions, deep questions, profound questions. And I was, I was, you know, Pastor James was up here. He's fielding these questions. And I'm taking my popcorn. How is he going to handle this one? You know, I just want to watch and see what answers he gives. And I honestly don't remember what the questions were uh, specifically. But I remember thinking as he was answering wow, look how perfectly he responded to that. Look how well he responded to that. And that's not always easy to do. You know, maybe in a Q&A, it's a little exciting to, to, to feel out what are people going to ask the pastor, what questions come up. But even in a Q&A, it's okay to say, let me study more. Let me get back to you. Let me uh, figure this out and get, give you a better answer, a more thought-out answer when I can. But how about when somebody approaches you in the church and is taking issue with you, and is taking issue with your style, and is taking issue with the way you preach, or taking issue with someone else in the church? How do you respond? How, does, how should a pastor respond? When they start saying things that are um, out of pocket, that shouldn't be said, a pastor needs an abundance of wisdom and self control. They need to respond wisely. Someone once told me that you will know a person's character not by how they act, but how they react. You'll know a person's character not by how they act, but how they react. James 1.5 says, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. Let him ask God. Pray that your pastor would respond wisely to every person, to every question, to every season, their response. To every accusation that comes their way, to every commendation, to every note of praise that they get, to every curse and every blessing, pray that your pastor would respond wisely. Number 10, pray that your pastor would live expectantly. Live expectantly. Hebrews 10.38 says this, Now the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. When storms and trials surround you, it can be difficult, and we all have faced this, it can be difficult to trust the Lord. It can. That's the reality. And when a church is getting hit with sickness, with deaths, with loss of jobs, with hardship, with trouble, when a family member gets a diagnosis, unfavorable diagnosis, or when a friend goes to heaven, it can look bleak. It can feel very hard. When life is hard and suffering is heavy, it can be extremely difficult to live by faith. We all have seen that, and for our pastor as well, who carries these burdens. But trusting in a sovereign God, trusting in a God who is sovereign, is what we need to do. It's what we ought to do. Pray that your pastor would live by faith, not by sight. They would live by faith and not by sight not by seeing everything that's happening around them, but they would live by their faith and that they would trust God but level it up. Because Ephesians 3.20 says this, to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask for or think, above all that we ask for, to live expectantly, to live expectantly. And these are things we should pray for our pastor. And you know, because faith begets faith. Faith produces more faith. When you and I as a church submit our pastor regularly into the presence of God, into the hands of God through prayer and through petition, and sometimes some of these prayers are over and over and over and we should pray like that, sometimes all our pastor needs is to be in the presence and his faith is elevated. To be submitted by another other person, to be lifted up by someone else and their faith is elevated. Pray that they would live expect, expectantly. Number 11. Pray that your pastor would serve faithfully. Serve faithfully. Galatians 5.13 says, By love, serve one another. By love, serve one another. And this is how you fulfill the laws, how the passage goes on. Matthew 25.21 says, His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant, good and faithful servant, serve faithfully. This is the highest compliment, the highest compliment a believer can receive when they reach heaven. Well done, good and faithful servant, you have served faithfully. You know, my um, grandfather was a man of very few words very few words. I knew him, you know, you know, by the time I came around, I knew him from his about late 60s to his 90s. And in those 30-ish uh, years that I uh, had the privilege of knowing my grandfather, he's with the Lord now, I really only recall him speaking on a very few occasions. Uh, he was a man of very few words. He only really spoke when he was at the pulpit. He would, he would speak and he would preach. During a family prayer, You would hear him uh, speak. And at meals, sometimes you'd hear him make a lighthearted joke, a one-liner. He was good at those one-liners, and that's all he would say, and he'd make everybody laugh. And we would enjoy him. He was a man of very few words. And even when, even if you were would have met him, uh, or as somebody new, he really wouldn't say much. He wouldn't. He would shake your hand, and he would hold it, and you would just feel that warmth and love that he had for you. He loved uh, you, and he was happy to meet you. You really could sense that and who he was. He was a man of few words. But when he spoke, people listened. People listened when he spoke. Many years ago, uh, in 1984, actually, when my grandfather was uh, visiting uh, from India, uh, my dad had a friend who uh, lived in San San Francisco at that time. And my friend wanted to honor my grandfather uh, as he was in his short time that he was visiting here. This friend was very successful. Um, and he took them to a very expensive restaurant that over, was overlooking the, the, bay, the Bay Area, right, in, in a beautiful building and a beautiful view. And he said, I want to honor your grandfather. And um, so they went up, and while they were dining, this friend asked my grandfather, what is your greatest need? What is your greatest need? Again, this friend is a very successful businessman at the time. For him, writing a five-digit check was really no issue at the time. And he just wanted to honor, he wanted to bless my grandfather for his life of ministry. So he asked my grandfather, what is your greatest need? And my grandfather paused for a few seconds and responded, faithful men. Now, the friend kind of thought, Maybe my grandfather didn't understand the question or what, what he was really trying to get at. He basically wanted to finance an aspect of the ministry, right? He asked my grandfather again, what is your greatest need? My grandfather paused again and he said, faithful men. By this time, my dad is sitting at the table, uh, dining, and he's a little puzzled, too, also thinking that uh, my grandfather doesn't get it. There's a miscommunication or there's a misunderstanding. And my, my dad began to speak up and, expl- and almost try to explain. He just wants to write a... He just needs a number. He wants a figure. And this this friend of his is a, an Italian guy, 120 miles an hour. He's just go, 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 that sort of rhythm guy. And he wants to just give, and he wants to bless. But my grandfather put his hand out Stopping my dad from explaining, as if, to say, as if to say, but he didn't use any words, I know what I'm saying, right? I know, I know what it's... Uh. Third time, the friend asked this question, what is your greatest need? And the third time, my grandfather paused and responded, faithful men. Years later, seven years later, this friend and my dad, they, they often get together, and he reminded my dad of this interaction that he had with my grandfather, and he said... Seven years later, it took him seven years. He said, now I understand what your grandfather meant. Now I understand what he meant. He was going through a rough time in his business, and he said, nothing functions without faithful men. Nothing functions without faithful, reliable men. This is one of God's standards, if you will. Faithful servants are fundamental. Faithful servants are fundamental. Nothing happens... Nothing happens without faithfulness. Without faithful engineers, buildings will crumble. Without faithful men on Wall Street, the economy collapses. Without faithful doctors, negligence takes place, and patients who could have lived die. It doesn't matter which area, it doesn't matter, business, ministry, faithfulness is a standard. It's a standard. And we should pray that our pastors would serve faithfully. Serve faithfully. And finally, number 12, pray that your pastor would finish well. Finish well. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, it says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, as Paul's words. You know, one of the interesting things about the Bible, the Bible is very honest about its heroes. It's very honest. If I was writing about a friend or a family member or my grandfather or my grandmother, I would really write very honorable things, very positive things about them to honor their legacy, to honor their person. But the Bible is brutally honest about its heroes. It has to be. Abraham, the father of faith, was an idol worshiper, started as an idol worshiper and a liar. That's what the Bible says about him. Jacob was a deceiver, the Bible says. Moses was a murderer. Paul started as a persecutor. The believers were afraid that he was even alive. That's what the scripture says, that he was breathing. They were afraid. On and on, you see how the Bible is so honest. But you know, the, the, God doesn't um, uh, care. It doesn't matter to God how you start. You can start as a liar, you can start as a deceiver, as an adulterer, and so on. It doesn't matter to God how you start, but it matters how you finish. It matters how you finish. Noah started out very well, but he had a very bad end. King Saul, the chosen king by God, chosen, handpicked by God, but his life ended in a tragedy. Samson, strong, upright, doing the right thing, Defender, started out well, but he had a terrible finish. Solomon, the wisest man, had all the wisdom, his wife, but his life was then marked by his disobedience and his idolatry in the end. Think of Judas, chosen by Christ, chosen by your Savior to be his disciple. He betrayed his friend. Closest, the closest of the, uh, the 12 closest people, Judas was one of them, closest to Christ, betrayed his friend. Betrayed his Savior, betrayed his Lord, and he took his own life. How you finish matters to God. It matters to God. Abraham may have started a liar, but he finished as a faithful friend. Moses took the life of someone else, but then God used him to deliver millions of people. Paul persecuted the church, but God used him then to expand the church to the whole world, really. And Jesus Christ, born in a dirty manger to poor parents from Nazareth, what good could come from there? He sustained ridicule. He sustained accusations. He faced the death of a criminal and brought salvation and eternal life to all of us. John 17, Jesus prays, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Pray that your pastor would finish well finish well. And as you think about your prayer life, would you make praying for your pastor a standard, a tune that you just know, that just comes out, that that that's almost like one of those songs that you just whistle, or that you just hum, that praying for your pastor would be one of those things that you just can perform at any time. Prayer is powerful. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers, one of the greatest pastors and expositors this world has ever seen said this, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. The greatest preacher in in our our contemporary world said, I'd rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. Pray for your pastor. Be a a person who prays for your pastor. And I want to challenge you in this. Make a commitment to this. Make it a standard. Watch and see what God does when you pray for your pastor. Watch and see what happens in our body. Watch and see how the kingdom of God will flourish and will flow. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of prayer. We thank you, Lord, for our faithful pastors. Make us faithful in praying for them and supporting them. Make us faithful in this practice, something that we are always ready to do. I thank you for Pastor James and his family. I thank you for Pastor Russell and his family. And as we get in groups, Lord, and pray a little more extensively for them, help us. Spirit of God, pray through us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 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 So we're going to get in groups, and uh, yeah, thank God. Uh, We have some things to discuss, and I also would like us to pray, pray for our pastors as well, to take time to do that. Um, In fact, we can even do that first and discuss uh, afterwards. I think that would be very appropriate. Um, but some of our discussion questions are, and for those of you at home uh, as well, how can you um, make praying for your pastor a standard in your home? How can you make this a standard, something that is a regular thing? Okay. Second, what is one of the 12 prayer points that you can start praying for yourself? What are one, one of these things? I'm sure we can all pray all of them, but it's one that stands out that you can start praying for yourself. Let's keep our pastors, Pastor James and Pastor Russell, in prayer. God bless you, and um, let's break into our groups and enjoy our discussion in our time of prayer.